from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. This love-hate relationship with having these conversations, on one hand, we want to have them, and then on the other hand, we'll say, no, we don't, because now it's gone too far. We want all of us in the community to join forces to understand the balanced point of view. It does not say that every white person is racist. The idea that we would not equip students with the skills necessary to navigate those conversations, I think is incredibly problematic. I'm Sarah Fenske. The Rockwood School District isn't the only place having knockdown, drag out fights about critical race theory. The concept has a lot of conservatives angry and a lot of liberals playing defense. But what exactly is critical race theory? Rockwood says they don't even teach it. So who does and why? We're going to open up the phone lines, but first, joining us today with some answers are two guests from Webster University who have an expertise in this area. Yin Lam Lee Johnson is an associate professor in Webster University School of Education. Professor Lee Johnson, welcome. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. And we're also joined today by Vincent Flewellen. He is Webster's chief diversity officer and also a doctoral student in the Department of Education's Transformative Leadership in a Global Society program. And that program is directed by Professor Lee Johnson. Vincent, welcome. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon. So, Professor Lee Johnson, let's start with you. Briefly, how would you define critical race theory? Thank you for the question. So, it's based on my own interpretation. I want to give it a, a personal spin so that it's easier to understand. I would say critical race theory to me, it's like putting on your virtual reality glasses. Hmm. So I want to put it in a um, general term so everyone can understand. So once you put on the virtual reality glasses, it helps you see the unseen. So um, some of the examples would be when you walk into any space, do you feel you own the space and you feel that's the space you belong? Do you speak and act without any fear? Um, do you feel like you have a lot of sharedness, whether it's cultural practices, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you dress up? You know, do you feel like you share that space with other people without having to have fear or constantly, you know, second guessing yourself? And so those are the things that when we become normalized into those social practices that sometimes we don't see those things anymore. But critical race theory, it's like now you have to put on your virtual reality goggles. So it helps you see those unseen things that got normalized into the social practice. So I would like to give one personal experience of myself. Mm -hmm. So I identify as a woman of color. I'm a scholar and a faculty member at the School of Education. So um, whenever I walk into any classroom, I am very conscious of who I am because I'm a woman of color. So if you have any studying or um, literature review about you know, what constitutes a professor image, especially in children literature books, picture books, videos, movies, a lot of those video clips that I've analyzed, they always kind of portray a white male figure to be that professor image 
which actually I don't look anywhere close to a white male professor. Mm -hmm. And so for whatever lecture hall or a classroom I walk into, I am constantly, you know, having that in my mind that I need to either put extra work to to, to prove myself, to legitimize who I am. And um, some of the strategies that I come up with over the years is I always share my publication record. I always tell my students my immigration story, how I became an immigrant in Hong Kong and became a, an immigrant here in the U.S. And because of those immigration experiences, how I can actually connect with immigrant students and families in the St. Louis metropolitan area. And so because of that, I would say one of the things critical re uh, critical race theory would help you see is that understand that for any woman of color similar to my situation walking and acting and functioning in any space you know there's like a constant comparison of who this person is when compared to the norm and that's why I would say critical race theory it's a very uh, personable and it's a theory that helps you see a lot of the things that are hidden it's really not so I want to talk about what it is not so in the rhetoric that we currently have there are a lot of misconceptions and information that I personally feel that is about critical race theory so Personally, my interpretation is that critical race theory does not dehumanize the white people. It does not demonize the white people. It does not say that every white person is racist. And it is not an American. Because what does it count to be American? Amer what does it count to be American? I think one of the things is freedom. Mm -hmm. And critical race theory is actually doing that freedom to give people of color a chance at the table. Because historically and socially, if you look at and analyze any leadership role in the education system, most of the leadership role were taken up by white males. It does not mean that people of color or minority would not have a chance. It's just that, you know, historically and traditionally, people of color would not have that shared uh, belonging and that shared privileges to be at those seats. And that's why I think critical race theory really does not demonize white people and it does not point finger at any white person as racist. On the contrary, it helps all of us, white, non-white, minority, you know, women or any kind of minority group to see what are the hidden paradigms that exist in any social space and so that we can have conversation and dialogues about those spaces, understand each other from different perspectives and become um, you know, a citizen that we, we can all feel that we belong. Vincent, I'm wondering if that definition is something and, and some of those misconceptions are things that, that you've heard and that that definition resonates for you. Sure. Thank you. I absolutely agree with Dr. Lee Johnson there, particularly like the point in which she makes in terms of critical race theory allows for those of us who, uh, because of our various identities, which have been marginalized, it allows for us to be seen. It allows for us to have our story be present. Hmm. I think in the past, uh, stories uh, have excluded those voices and what critical race theory actually does is it opens up the door for a counter narrative for a different story to be present and for those voices to be heard and seen in turn it also then validates the existence of those whose voices have not been heard and seen and have not been welcomed to the table 
Vincent, it feels like a lot of these arguments going on right now deal with critical race theory as it applies to the teaching of American history. Um, do, do you think that that's a, a coincidence that it happens to be that that's what people get most angry about? Or are these these arguments sort of at the core of questions of American identity? Yeah, I do. And I think so. And I think that, you know, we are really at this crux here right now in terms of American identity and what does it mean to be, as Dr. Lee Johnson asked, an American, right? And an American um, is, 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 is multifaceted, right? But mm-hmm. our American history has for so long been centered on whiteness. Our American history has been centered on telling the story of America from the perspective of whites. It has not included the stories of our indigenous Native Americans. It has not included the the rightful story of uh, the enslaved Africans here. It has not included the the, the story of women and, and their struggle, and particularly black women, again, back to this idea of intersectionality, right? Mm -hmm. And so that we can also have multiple identities uh, and the ways in which our stories are told, you know, the ways in which the story of the woman uh, has been told in America through suffrage, right, is not the same story uh, for for women of color. That's a story that was about white women, right? And so what role did black women have and what struggles did they have and what accomplishments were they able to make? We don't really know those stories, right? It's only when we begin to kind of Google and those names pop up that we begin to learn those stories. And so American history right now is actually, um, uh, I think, uh, the target of much of this in the sense that we are actually wanting to tell a, a more accurate story of American history. And, you know, the reality of it is, is that America, you know, uh, we can love America as Americans and also find faults with it. If you're listening to this conversation, we want to encourage you to join us. Um, do you see value in critical race theory? You can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Uh, Professor Lee Johnson, I- I'm curious when this first began to develop into an academic movement. So um, it, it critical race theory happened with the critical legal studies. So the earliest can go back to 1970s and then 1980s, 1990s. A lot of discussion, some of the scholarly work of Crenshaw, of uh, lesson billings of William Tate's. So um, they talked about how, um, you know, in, in history, in the legal studies, most of the, uh, st- the cases were about white women, just like Vincent talked about. And so black women, you know, once that intersectionality, the intersection of um, race and gender come into place it was a new concept Mm -hmm. and so it was extremely difficult for black women to claim you know any discrimination um, that arise because of both gender and and their race and that's how it came along and then um, then it got into uh, lesson building so she wrote uh, books about application of critical race theory in education particularly and talks about how it actually helps people including teachers students parents you know that we can see 
uh, what are the hidden dimensions of race? Because some of the critique that I've been reading and watching the news and following would be that critical race theory would make white people feel guilty, you know, or it blame white people for having privileges. In fact, my interpretation is the reverse. So critical race theory, it's not to just call people out. I think mm -hmm. it's calling people in. So for calling people in, I'm also citing one of the um, keynote speech that uh, my colleague, Dr. Debbie Styles, have been to talk uh, this year, and she talked about it. So we call people in because we want all of us in the community to join forces to understand the balanced point of view at the table. So like Vincent and I talked about who is at the table, who is making these decisions, who is you know voting, um, what are the policies, and who are making these decisions is critical. So whenever we apply critical race theory in education, we can ask questions of who designed the curriculum, you know, who made decisions about social, just, uh, social, social studies and all the histories of slavery, you know, would that be a one-sided view or not? And if it is, how can we provide a space and opportunity for people of color or minority that historically did not have a chance to have a voice in it? And so that's why I think critical race theory does not push people out. It actually draw people in. Vincent, um, I know you have been a social studies teacher. It was about 20 years or so ago that you taught social studies um, in Ladue and also at MICDS, um, the private school in St. Louis County. Did you think of what you were teaching at that point as critical race theory? You know, I, I, I certainly didn't have the language then, right? But what I did know was that it was important to be seen. I recall uh, in my initial conversations with the head of school during my interview process at MICDS, and uh, he was ex he explained to me that I would teach a medieval studies curriculum, hmm. uh, to which I offered some pushback, right? Um, at sixth grade medieval studies, I certainly didn't see myself as a black man in that curriculum. And I certainly didn't see uh, the students who, uh, who I taught who were also of color and black in, in that curriculum. And in order for me to teach that, I, and, and, and I felt that it needed to represent, uh, the curriculum needed to represent more broadly uh, other voices. And so you know, in, in, in talking with the head of school, we decided that I would actually write a world cultures curriculum in hmm. which we actually focused on history of South Africa, right, and other aspects of culture. And it allowed for all of the students, as Dr. Lee Johnson said, to, to be called in. So I even, you know, we looked of MICDS itself and the institution itself and and then what were the various cultures of which the students belonged and for them to go home and to have conversations with their families about their culture. This wasn't something that was just specific to the black students. This was something that was specific to my white students in the classroom as well. And they were able to then connect and be able to see themselves in the larger conversation, right? In which mm -hmm. we could then make comparisons and we could uh, talk about the ways in which we are alike and the ways in which we are different, uh, all based on our culture. So, Vincent, this leads me to think about um, an amendment that is uh, triggering a lot of discussion in the Missouri legislature. Um, they're debating an amendment there that would ban social studies curriculum that, quote, identifies people, entities, or institutions as inherently, immutably, or systemically sexist, racist, biased, privileged, or oppressed. It sounds like some of the conversations that you were having there with your students might have bumped up against th those very concepts. For teachers, 
how limiting would an amendment like that be with what you were trying to do as you taught at those affluent St. Louis County districts? I think incredibly limiting, right? Uh, Actually, to the point in which I think conversations in general at that point just stop. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the reality of it is, is that the privilege does exist, period. Right. It's not just white privilege when we're talking about race. It's also male privilege when we're talking about issues of sexism. Right. It's also uh, in terms of class. And so we all are privileged in some level of our identity or or not. And, And so the idea that we would shut down those conversations the idea that we would not equip students with the skills necessary to navigate those conversations, I think is incredibly problematic. I think it's incredibly problematic, particularly in this country at this time, because one of the realities is that we are in the midst of truly a racial reckoning. Conversations around race we have not successfully had in this country. And I think it's interesting that white legislators at this point are exercising and trying to rather exercise a right to then limit conversations of race. That once again, I think, centers whiteness in the discussion because there's this discomfort in talking about the realities of history around race that they then exercise their power, their privilege to then curtail those conversations. Classroom teachers need to have the ability to do that. So, Professor Lee Johnson, one of the criticisms of critical race theory is that it doesn't allow people to change and it doesn't allow for um, for things to get better, that it sort of suggests that white supremacy is, is baked into this country and that um, we're all sort of having to pay for the sins of the past. What would you say to critics of this doctrine who claim that that's part of it? That's a very good question. So um, I think what we constantly talked about is that critical race theory, once it's being politicized, I felt that a lot of the misconception and misinformation is out there. And these are through different lenses and different interpretations by different groups of people. And so what I want to challenge us to think about would be going back to the point of the virtual reality glasses. So critical race theory actually does not demonize people and push people out it actually is the reverse, right? It helps us see the unseen and and it helps us engage in conversations to bring minority group in. And so I think it actually, I don't agree with some of those um, critique of critical race theory being, um, you know, kind of challenging the, the whiteness and the white privileges. I actually think that we all need to have this um, balanced point of view to come to the table and understand every single perspective. So that's how when I talked about critical race theory, I think the, the world has transformed into a multiple truths era. So we, we need to see truth as it exists in different people's perspectives, different people's stories, just like Vincent said. So critical race theory is about counter narratives and counter stories that we now have a chance to tell. And so that's how I personally see it. So, Vincent, um, in our final minute here, to anyone who's listening to this conversation today who might still feel skeptical about critical race theory or they're concerned what their kids might be hearing at a school that's that's adopted this as, as a curriculum that they want to explore, what would you say to them to persuade them of the value of these conversations? 
I think that the that they are important to have and for them to support those districts in having because what it does again is it allows for all students to be seen in the conversation and in, in, in their learning process. It uh, validates existences. It it it, it confirms identities. It um, positively is able to put spins on people uh, who have not had that historically um, that historical presence before America we 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 have this love hate relationship with having these conversations on one hand we want to have them and then on the other hand we'll say no we don't because now it's gone too far it's only gone too far when I think other voices get involved and it exceeds beyond that whiteness um, and, and, and I think that that's the biggest struggle for folks but I would say you know to those parents the reality of it is is that while we're talking about race it could also be about orientation and what would you say about your child who uh, would need to see positive figures and the history of their orientation present also if they were a part of the marginalized community. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say about your daughter and her being able to understand and see more clearly the history and the role of women in American history? So Vincent Flewellen, um, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing that perspective. Thank you. And Vincent, again, is the Chief Diversity Officer for Webster University, and Yin Lam Lee Johnson, Associate Professor in Webster University's School of Education. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.